Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. So let's hope that the sound is okay here. I'm using <laughs> like a little tiny lavalier mic and sitting in my hotel room getting ready for GaryCon. We came up here a little bit earlier because I drove and it was it was quite a drive. I figured it would take me a couple of days and you know the weather can be unpredictable at this part of the country so turns out the weather was pretty good and I was pretty efficient so I'm here early hanging out in Lake Geneva and here I am making a podcast for y'all. For y'all. And I'm not even down south. But did I say that right? Let me know if you're in the south. So I want to talk a little bit about, I guess, players, thus the player characters, but really the players, investment or desire to be part of a bigger world. And the reason why this comes up, or how I'm going to frame it, is I was having a conversation the other day with somebody about, you know, the, my system that, or my game that I'm playing in, what well, is also my system, in person. And we had a stretch of time from, ooh, I don't know, it was roughly six or seven sessions where there was literally no combat. And they were commenting that that was a little bit strange. They, they thought that, you know, some players would hate that or wouldn't be so into it. And we got kind of deeply into this conversation about, you know, players do what they want. I mean, they could very easily attack anybody and start a combat, but they know based on the world and based on information that they're getting that that would be a bad idea. They had chosen to head to this island to basically, well, they originally went there to try to sell a magical item, which they have not. They kind of forgot about that as they moved on to something else. They found that this high priest evil high priest, as it would be in OD&D, uh, was up to something bad. You know, they, they knew that there were some sacrifices of innocent people going on. They knew that they wanted it to stop, right? Why? No NPC told them they should do it. Nobody's giving them gold for it. They decided because they're building a stock, a place, a home in this world, and they are the heroes, right? And they want to make change. Sometimes they do things that maybe aren't <laughs> the most heroic. And I think you know, a while back, I believe it was on the Nerds RPG Variety cast, Jason was talking about, you know, what is a hero? Because uh, there was a whole thing about Conan and like what makes an actual hero. And there was a lot of discussion about the idea of kind of like your kind of ancient heroes, like your Greek and Roman heroes. They often <laughs> uh, they weren't the nicest people in the world necessarily. Like they did what needed to be done. I mean, they weren't necessarily running around doing what we would call evil deeds, but they certainly weren't always just, you know, white knighting it. You know, sometimes they had to do the dirty work as it would be. But anyways, so I'm not saying that the characters are like walking around lawful good paladins, but they definitely want to help and change and make the world better. And I think the reason they want to do that is because they feel invested in it. Their characters feel invested in it. And this comes from, you know, giving, I think, giving players the ability to affect, to grow, to change the world. It's something that you have to put into your play style, into your DMing toolbox, if you will, so that you are working in that direction. So they feel like what they do makes a difference. And this is kind of where they're at. And part of this conversation came out, came down that, yeah, they were investigating and he kind of made a comment like, well, if they were just sitting around role-playing, that wouldn't seem that exciting for some people. And I said, well, no, they weren't just role-playing, they were investigating and plus when they went there, they saw that this high priest was in this nearly impenetrable tower. It was obvious that if they had made a frontal assault, they would die. 
there was no really way in that they could see. They basically saw there was a situation they couldn't get into. And the comment they made was, well, poof, why didn't players just leave then? Why, do they, why would you put something in front of them they can't solve? They're just going to walk away. And I said, well, they could have, but they didn't. So that means something, right? Why didn't they? You know, why didn't they just walk away when they saw, oh, we can't just fireball this kind in public and be done with it? Because, again, they had an investment in the world and they saw this and they said, if we charge the front gate and even if we're able to kill this person, they're going to be martyred. Some of us, if not all of us, are going to die. So let's spend the time and figure out the perfect plan. And I think I talked about this already. And they figured out a really good plan, a pretty flawless one. And they got some really good roles and were able to actually take them out with... Basically, I was like, bring your miniatures. I had all everything ready. And there was one... Well, I don't even want to call it one round of combat. They snuck in perfectly. They surprised him. And in the first round, they killed him. And that, to me, is awesome. You might say, that's boring because they didn't have a long boss fight. But I would say, in some ways, they did have a long boss fight. It was the month and a half of them researching, dungeon crawling, figuring out these things. That was all part of what is the boss fight. The boss fight doesn't have to be a hex and, uh, hex and grid, I was going to call it. Uh, it's great, yeah, hex, basically a grid-based combat with all kinds of stuff going on and minions and this and that. This is just another way to do it. It's a, it's a different way to approach, right? It's a puzzle that they're solving. It's how a lot of pulp novels come down, right? They don't just go and fight the big bad guy, if you will, at the end, like you might do in, you know, let's say some video games. Okay, the, what the example I'll use is, and this isn't even a pulp thing, this is a movie, Clash of the Titans, right? Perseus is faced with the idea that, sorry for spoilers for a movie from 1981, Perseus is faced with the idea that the Kraken is going to eat, effectively, take as a sacrifice his would-be bride, you know, the woman that he loves. And he wants to defend her. And the reality of the situation is that Perseus and all the armies that were there could not beat the Kraken. The Kraken is unbeatable on some level. But through the process of going to the, the three witches, finding Medusa's head, all that other stuff, he is basically doing, you could almost look at that as phases of the boss fight, right? <laughs> or you could call it the campaign. What do you want to call it? Because when Perseus faces the Kraken, it's literally over in one round, right? He flies in, again, spoiler, he flies in on Pegasus and shows the head of Medusa to the Kraken that fails its saving throw and is turned to stone. The fight between the Kraken, while it is dramatic, is short and it's not Kraken hits Perseus, Perseus hits Kraken, Kraken hits Perseus, Perseus hits Kraken. There's some healing, there's death saves, there's magic powers being used in feats. It was literally, just, I mean, there is a whole thing with the head falling in the water, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> but anyways, there's basically a very short combat that finishes that. Even the fight against Medusa is not that long. A lot of it is the planning of getting there, right, and knowing what you're going after. Characters need an investment in the world. Perseus was in love with Andromeda, I believe was her name. Let me know if I'm getting that wrong. He didn't want to just walk away because the Kraken was unbeatable. He saw what was clearly an unwinnable situation and he figured out how to win. And that's what heroes do. So when you're running a campaign, give your players the ability to do that. 
let them find the pieces of the puzzle that will let them defeat things they could never defeat based on their level, their hit points, their magic that they have in their spell books. Let them beat stuff that should be unbeatable because they figured out the way to do it through their clever intentions. Not your railroading, but their clever intentions. Give them the chance to walk away. And if they do, then they're not invested enough in the world and that means you need to think about why they're not invested, in my opinion. I guess all of this is my opinion. I should do like a, a warning thing, like a, I don't know if it's a warning, a disclaimer thing like Taylor does at the end of his podcast. But anyways, um, that's kind of what I was thinking of. It was just an interesting conversation. I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, I shouldn't frame it like that because I, some people are probably thinking it was some jerk on Twitter and we were going back and forth. It was a friend of mine who we were just having a conversation and they were, they were actually kind of surprised that it went on like that. And they were like thinking about players they have and how they don't think their players would want to do that. Now, I also wonder when people say my players wouldn't like that. I did a whole video about this <laughs> where hey, you, do you really know that until you try it? But again, who knows, right? My players like it. They set the tone, they set the pace, they can do what they want. When they had the choice to come here, there was also a treasure map with lots of gold. There was a dragon to be slayed. There was an underworld to be explored. There was trolls to fight. And they chose to do this, which is effectively help change and make the world better through their actions. And frankly, that's why I think I have an amazing group of players for the style of play that I like to run. So I would love to know, of course, what kind of games you run. If you have players that do this stuff, how often do they fight? And again, when I'm framing this, I'm not framing this as the classic OSR. They're too weak to fight, so they run. Because there's lots of things they could be fighting. They're choosing to go after a large target that's not beatable with a single sword thrust because that's what they're enjoying because they're part of the world. That's what I mean by this. Not they run. Because they're actually powerful. I've talked about this before. That Now they're on, most of them are close to 7th level. And they could easily wipe out, cut fight dragons and giants and stuff. And they're choosing to go after the politics. Or as one of the players said, when you're fighting the state, it's not so easy. I have a couple of calls, which I will play now. Hopefully this is all going to sound good. I suppose if you're listening to it, it probably sounds okay enough. <laughs> because I'll put it out if I can. It looks like the, I'm looking at the levels here and they're kind of bouncing all over the place. But we shall see. So I got a couple calls and let's get to them. Hi, Daniel. It's Michael Chicago Wiz from Dungeon Master's Handbook. Just finished listening to your episode on higher level OSR. I wish I had players that were at 10th level, uh, but we haven't quite gotten there yet, uh, thanks to COVID and only playing about once a month. But um, interestingly, my players have been involved in politics and in what's going on around them pretty much since the get-go. And I think that maybe that level of immersion and what they choose to do may be based on the campaign and the setting and the things that are going on around them. Um, I, I have talked a lot about three hexes and coming up with three ideas and three choices for players to get into once they jump into the game. And there is the first sense of, well, I'm going to find something nearby and go beat it up and take its treasure so that way I can, you know, start gaining levels. Um, very mercenary way of living. But the way I present my world is very dynamic. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's life going on around you and you can choose to get involved or you can choose to do your own thing. And at least in my campaign, the players have chosen to get involved very early on. I mean, they're fifth, sixth level in my tabletop. Um, they're fourth and fifth in my um, 
in my online and my play-by-post. They're about fourth to fifth. Um, and they've all chosen to get involved in things and, and into the bigger world. And, and it's been interesting to watch that their growth and influence as they progress from, you know, to use OD&D in chainmail terms, from veteran level to hero level, and they're climbing the ladder to superhero level, their level of influence broadens. Some of that is my doing, how I handle mechanics and how I handle uh, NPC interactions, and some of it is kind of based on how they feel about themselves and their characters and what they do. So I don't know. I, you know, it might be setting specific. It might be um, presentation specific. It, it could be group specific. I, I don't know, but it, it's interesting to hear about how your group does it. As far as projects, I'm very guilty of overreach and uh, that last minute uh, scramble. I will can't talk about an audio, but I will send you a, uh, a, a typical graphic that outlines the life cycle of the project. And, and the very last sliver is all the work while crying. And yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that. In fact, I'm already planning Gary Con 2024 and how I'm going to make a dungeon for 15, uh, 15 uh, millimeter figures. And I'm going to print out all these tiles. And oh my gosh, it just... It never ends. But that's the joy of this hobby, isn't it? Anyway, take care. We'll talk to you later and game on. Well, clearly I should have listened to this before I recorded my whole first part. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're on the same page. I think it's the world that you create or make available for them that makes them have the desire to do that. So I kind of said that earlier, so I agree with you there. Just to be clear, though, I mean, they're not on 10th level. My players are... I, well, I just mentioned they're around 7th level now, but they started really getting involved in the worldly stuff around 5th level. Same same as you. I, I, will, I won't say they were involved from the beginning because they were... This is a group I've played with for a long time, but this is the first time that we've really played kind of an OD&D campaign. We've played OD&D a bunch, you know, as little bits and pieces and chunks and 5 sessions, 10 sessions, but this is the, you know, zero to hero, as they say. Like, we started at 1st level, we're running it by the book. In the beginning, they, they knew, because I had to tell them that, right, because they were new to, to kind of leveling up in the system like this, that, you know, it's <laughs> it's the treasure, right? So at the beginning, they, they did that, right? They were like, we need to go in the dungeon, we can get the treasure, get back to safety. Go in the dungeon, get the treasure, get back to safety. And because we've had kind of more narrative campaigns in the past, they all wanted kind of a reason to be there, and Altan's door allowed for a, um, a role to see what, you know, some motivations, random motivations, which are always fun. So they had that going for them as well. But once they kind of got past the point where that was there, they solved the, you know, the curse, which was the main motivation. And they had some levels under their belts with the, uh, with the gold and they realized they were powerful. That's when they really like stepped up and started making the choices to be involved in the world. And yeah, I love your three hex stuff and everything you do over at the blog. Anybody who hasn't checked out the Chicago Wiz blog, I will put a link in the show notes and also to Michael's podcast, which is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. And it's funny he's mentioning 15 millimeter because <laughs> I had never done anything in 15 millimeter, but I'm running a game this year on 15 millimeter. And the reason why is because I couldn't find the figures that I liked or wanted for what I was trying to run, Gaslight, you know, basically pulp figures. I couldn't find anybody in the U.S. that had pulp figures. And the reason why I had to get them from the U.S. was because I waited too long to order them. <laughs> I found an amazing company in the U.K. If I can find it again before I make this go live, which I won't because I'm literally going to record this and put it up. Um, so in the future, I'll, uh, or maybe somebody can recommend, I found a cool company in the UK that has some 
uh, pulp stuff, but that would have taken a month or more to get the figures there and I had to paint them and everything else as I've talked about before. So I think I'll order some 28 millimeter pulp just to see if I like those better, but I'm kind of digging the 15 millimeter. You can do things at a, at a slightly smaller scale, obviously, uh, you know, because even though, you know, they're like roughly half the size, right? So you can basically use smaller playing fields to play the same type of game. So I'm liking the 15 millimeter slime may go that way. And uh, we need to coordinate better for next year so that uh, we can try to get into each other's games possibly because your games sound amazing. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Just listen to your latest episode. And yeah, I'm the same way you are with cons. I'll sign up for things way in advance and then procrastinate, procrastinate, and wait till the last minute to get everything together. I'm just now getting my Boot Hill stuff together for a convention that's a month away, so which I guess isn't too bad. I, I'm not doing minis because I really don't want to travel with minis and all, so I'm going to do uh, effectively pogs, you know, like chess pieces with um, faces on them, you, you know, like you, you'll see with different sets. Uh, Ray Otis has talked about it. It's like his Blood Bowl mini or, you know, flats that he, he does, and I'm going to do the buildings that way too. That way people don't have to get up and walk around the table. They'll be able to still sit and be able to see line of sight with the flat buildings, the flat pieces. But we'll still have, you know, effectively tokens on the map. And they'll be able to see the town when we get into that shootout in the town. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, yeah, keep in there. Keep up the great work. And I will talk to you soon. Hey, Daniel. Jason here. Just listen to your YouTube video on why dwarves are the best class to be your dungeon scout and I think you 100% nailed it in BX especially if you're playing rules as written dwarves are great BX is a very procedural game and if you're following those procedures as laid out in the game and, and playing the classes as they're written you know it's really hard to beat the dwarf the elf actually is pretty solid too but having those the additional saving throws or the better saving throws I should say really puts the dwarf over the top so uh, maybe a halfling, depending. Um, but yeah, I think you, you nailed it though. The dwarf really is is the way to go. Great, great video. I look forward to your next one. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thanks, Jason, for calling in. Yeah, the, I'm I'm interested to hear more of how that Boot Hill game plays out because uh, I helped Jason playtest. I was one of the people he, he's run it a bunch of times. Uh, playtest the original concept, and it's a very very cool scenario. And it's got like a little bit of a, a little bit of everything, I guess, that you can do in Boot Hill. So it's a great introductory thing to see what the system is capable of. But it's also not just like, we'll try this, we'll try that. It really has a cool, fun story behind it. You know, you had said to me that you were doing flat buildings. I didn't realize you were also doing the pogs. So I'm curious how that works out. Because I was thinking to myself, like, I'm using some flat, for my Gaslight game, I'm using flat terrain. Like, I printed trees and stuff on a, a flat piece. I don't know where I got cut off there, I'm in, the, I'm in a hotel and the air conditioner went on. Uh, I'm using uh, flat terrain from my Gaslight game. Basically, I used it when I did two millimeter stuff. I basically just take a piece of foam board and I printed with the symbols from hexes is the way I did it onto uh, you know a piece of paper and then glued it on. So I have like little effectively chunks of terrain. And what's nice about it is for traveling, obviously you don't have to carry fragile terrain, but also like Jason mentioned, if you're sitting around a table, 
you don't necessarily have to like get up and walk around to be able to see everything that's going on. You can see from your position where everything is. So that, that's a super useful. So I'll see how that plays out. I mean, I'm sure that I will be jealous when I look around the wargaming room and everybody has this amazing terrain, but for what I'm doing and my uh, carrying it, I think this is going to work just fine. Insofar as the dwarves, yeah, it's super interesting, uh, right? And, and I did, I, I hope that I made it clear I was speaking about BX and also OD&D to a certain extent because those games don't have, like some comments I've gotten from people are, well, dwarves don't move as fast. But again, that's not the case in BX or OD&D. Everybody moves the same speed. Dwarves are great. As noted, they have the great saving throws. But the reason why I didn't go with elves is because dwarves have a better chance of finding traps than elves and also better saving throws. And same with halflings. Halflings do not have the ability to find the traps as well as the dwarves. So that's kind of why I went that way. Halflings are, in BX, probably one of my favorite classes, if not my favorite class. Well, the thief is my favorite class, but of the demi-humans, the halfling is my favorite. And if I was playing a halfling, I probably would scout ahead. But I still think the dwarf in the end is, is the best. So I'd be curious what people think. Uh, when you get into, Actually, let me know what you think, Jason, in ad and I always played a halfling thief. And I played the one, the stout blood, stout foot or something, I can't remember what it's called, where I probably could have looked it up, but again, I'm sitting in a hotel with my books, um, that has a slightly longer information because of course I'm a power builder. And I always played a halfling thief because again, they got good saves uh, versus poison in ad and I believe. And, you know, Bilbo, right? So <laughs> halfling thief is great, but I bet you a dwarf thief would also be really, really good. I, mean, I never really thought about doing it because one of my other friends always played a dwarf and, uh, you know, that was like his class that he played, so or race that he played because we were playing ad and He played a dwarf fighter all the time. Based on, I think there was a character in the, I don't know if he was in the D&D cartoon. I think he's one of the, the action figures, Elkhorn, the, the Dwarven Warrior or something. That, that's what he based a character on that. I actually always played a, uh, a halfling and called him Frodo, but uh, I actually like Bilbo better than Frodo. So I don't know why I didn't just call him Bilbo. Maybe I thought about Bilbo as Bilbo as an old guy. I don't know. How old was Bilbo, really? I know in the Lord of the Rings, he was super old, but I wonder when he first went out on an adventure, he was still kind of later in life, right? And I'm 12, I'm not going to play a 45-year-old halfling. I don't know. Let me know how old Bilbo was, I guess. <laughs> Boy, I really went sideways on that one. Anyways, here I am in the hotel at, uh, for Gary Khan a few days in advance. Obviously, it's Sunday. The con doesn't start until Thursday. Uh, we're going to hang out in Lake Geneva and have some fun here. It's a fun little town. And... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for GaryCon. If anybody hears this and they're going to be at GaryCon, please do come say hi. I will be around. Obviously, you can check the event schedule. Just check my name. You'll see all the events I'm playing in. I usually get there, you know, 15 minutes or so ahead of time. So I'll be hanging out. And just if you see me, flag me down. I'll be like, hey, Daniel. Unless unless I owe you money, then, you know, I'm not at GaryCon. The other thing is on Wednesday night, I will be, I don't know the exact time, but sometime after 5 I will be hanging out in the hotel bar, and when enough people are kind of around and hanging out, we bust out a dwarven drinking game, and craziness ensues. So, yeah. If you are at all interested in consuming alcoholic beverages, or whatever beverage you want, and you want to sit in the bar and have a great time and make jokes and meet a bunch of cool people, uh, and then also me, then please come to the bar uh, Wednesday at, there's no official time, but I'm guessing somewhere around 6 o'clock. If you show up and we're playing, we can just probably add you to the game, so don't worry about it if you're late. In any case, thanks for listening, everyone. You can check the show notes. You'll find links to Jason, uh, Jason's podcast, and also Chicago Wiz or Michael's uh, podcast, and also their blog down in the show notes. I probably said show notes twice there. 
you will also find a link to uh, my Discord server. Go ahead and join up over there if you haven't already. It's a fun place and there's lots of stuff going on. We're kind of re... <laughs> we. One of my new uh, Discordians, I don't know what you would call a new person who joined, uh, you know, got into the room that I had made called Bandit's World, which I had made a while back where we were just kind of, everybody's just posting like little like world starters and they started there. I think they're trying to form like a little choose your own adventure deal by writing out a little starter and then some options with, uh, you can answer with emojis. So let's see if they continue that. That should be super fun. If you want to do anything like that, come over and join the Discord server. Super fun. Oh, and also, if you'd like to support what I do here and on the web in various other places on the web, do people still call it the web? If you'd like to support what I do here or here on my YouTube channel, whatever, uh, go ahead, check out, join the Patreon. Patreon's super fun. I have another podcast that I do over there, Freebooter, where I talk about more kind of deeply in-depth about different adventures. And I also, if you join at the adventurer level, I'm, you know, creating some monthly adventures for y'all. And I'm doing all the GaryCon adventures. So everything I run at GaryCon, I'm going to put up there for all the adventure people. So if you want to run the games that I ran at GaryCon for your group, then uh, that could be really fun. Either way, I appreciate any support you give me, either just listening and sharing this podcast or liking or subscribing to the YouTube channel or joining the Discord and, you know, having increasing the amount of awesome information and fun over there. All that is a great way to support what I do here, so I do appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon.